And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Live from the bunker here. Welcome, everybody. Jason Hutt here in the studio. And it has been 51 years since we walked on the moon. For the very first time, Neil Armstrong taking his steps today on the lunar surface 51 years ago. And uh, we we did send an invitation out last week to uh, Director Jim Bridenstine over at NASA, but of course it was a little too late to make any kind of a plan today because you know, we've only been around for two weeks and we're still getting our feet under us as far as getting invitations out. But that doesn't mean we're not going to have some things to say about the moon landing and the space program because you know that's today so let's let's get right to it hello everyone <sighs> what a weekend and yes i am going to address the dynamite comics kerfuffle from the weekend but not today we're going to talk about it probably later on this week maybe wednesday tomorrow uh, Jim Remar from the Kansas Cosmosphere will be here in the bottom half of the hour. And then Thursday, uh, Peter Semetti from Alterna Comics will be joining us. We'll probably talk about the dynamite thing then, I expect. Oh, 57 days without an incident here at the bunker. Mrs. Boss over there diligently working on the school closure list. <clears throat> In the meantime, let's uh, let's do a couple of things here. The busy work. We do have a subscribe star account for those of you who would like to support us in that way. Of course, we have the PayPal link, all of that for the tip jar, and we do have a discount code negotiated with SuperheroStuff.com if you want to get swag uh, from your favorite genre franchise: Doctor Who, Walking Dead, Godzilla. Star Trek, Star Wars, etc., Marvel, DZ, all that. You can get 10% off when you use promo code SCIFI for me 10 when you check out. All right, so uh, no guests today, uh, not for lack of trying, but uh, we are, like I said, we're still working out the logistics. I've got to, to actually take a, time, a, a few moments, a, an hour or so, I just, I've put my list together. I just need to start reaching out to representatives and just blast invitations out. Uh, if any of you have uh, people that you think would uh, be appropriate guests here on the program, you can certainly let us know. Send us an email, live from the bunker at sci-fi-for-me.com. Or you can leave a comment. You can throw something in the chat. And let us know that way. Some of the people, who would you like to see on this show? Who would you like to see as a guest uh, for me to grill with hard-hitting questions? Um, 
So yeah, 51 years ago today, Neil Armstrong walks on the moon. It was one of the very few times Walter Cronkite lost his exposure on the air. Um, that man was just unflappable for the most part. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about the space program, but not necessarily in a way you might think, because... You know, everybody's going to be talking about the, the space program itself. But I want to talk about what came out of the space program, the benefits, the technological advances. Because for the last uh, 30-some-odd years, uh, longer than that, I mean, because the last time we went to the moon was the early 70s. I think 1975 was the last time we were there. And it is one of those things that has frustrated me that we have not gone back yet. We have remained in orbit around Earth, but we haven't gone out to the moon. We're not at Mars, at least not officially. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says, my head is big today. Is that uh, the camera angle or I, what is... It's no, I'm not any closer. It's the same. Oh, wait, I think I know what it is. Okay. I think I know what it is. It's because I have the camera. I I know what it is. All right. So let's do let's do this. It's the cat. Yeah, it's the camera. So let me do this um, because I set the camera in the wrong place. So why don't we do this? I'm going to because today I came prepared. We have the dog camera. So let me switch and turn that off and turn this camera to that. Because that actually might look a little bit better. There we go. That's the normal way I'm supposed to look. Thanks very much for calling that out. I look better. That's normal. Wait, you have. See, you tell me you don't want to be on here now and not. In no, 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 no. Camera and mic, two different things, but that's normal. For my head to get big? Well, that too. But this is how you normally look? Oh, well, no. Well, no. It's normally. It's normal for me to have a button pushed in the wrong place. Because. Yes, you know, we normally do. Yes. Because that's just how things are around here. Because if we don't, then. It just throws our whole game off. Uh -huh. All right. So, so what I would like to do today uh, is talk about. <laughs> Snob says that he was enjoying counting my pores. Uh, my, my pores are just fine where they are. So, um, what I'd like to do today is is take the take the hour and talk about. Um, both my frustration at the, the the lack of progress in the space program, and there could be a number of reasons for that. I don't want to get into that. Just I just want to vent a little bit, but also the the various different benefits from the space program, the things that you might or might not be aware are products of the space program and and the the research and the work that they do at NASA or or companies related to NASA Jet Propulsion Lab uh, uh, Northrop Grumman and 
give people a little bit of a, a, a better sense of appreciation for all of the money that gets spent on space technology, the space program, uh, extra planetary research and, and exploration and that sort of thing. Because there are a lot of people who are critical of any money being spent off planet. And why do we even bother? Why are we trying to go out anywhere? We need to solve the problems that we have here. And I get that as an argument for some. But the things that we do out in space could have long-term benefits because they already have in some way, shape, or form that you may or may, or might or might not be aware. So let me go through a few things here. This is a site Jet Propulsion Laboratory put together, the California Institute of Technology, and this is an article here. Um, 20 Things We Wouldn't Have Without Space Travel. This is an infographic on, on uh, Jet Propulsion Lab's website, and it goes through some of the things that we have here. And, and this is not... The technology science fiction inspired. This is the technology that actually going out into space inspired. Uh, and it's a really interesting list because some of the stuff you don't expect. Camera phones. Uh, because uh, the cameras that were developed for the spacecraft had to be small. Had to be scientifically accurate. And a result of all of that, you have the small accurate, high-definition cameras that are now in your cell phones, which can, you know, some of, some of them can do 4K, but a lot of them are all still 1080 HD. They'll do high-definition video. We've seen these projects that, you know, these movies shot on the iPhone type of thing. The cameras in these, in these phones have gotten so good that you can conceivably do that sort of thing. Scratch-resistant lenses are another thing. CAT scans, space program, uh, digital imaging technology, uh, and radiography came, became the, the CAT scan technology that we use today in medicine. A lot, of, a lot of medical technology, a lot of health benefits from the research being done in space. LEDs. Uh, light-emitting diodes, all of that was a, a device uh, that was developed as part of the space program. Landmine removal. It says here, Thiokol Propulsion uses NASA's surplus rocket fuel to produce a flare that can safely destroy landmines. It works by burning a hole through the mine without detonation. So basically the flame drills a hole through the mine and renders it inert. Athletic shoes. It says here, Nike Air Trainers wouldn't exist if it weren't for suit construction technology developed by NASA. It was a former NASA engineer that first pitched the idea. So, sneakers on the moon, basically. Uh, foil blankets. You know, the geothermal, the thermal blankets that, that we have, the little things for sunscreen and all of that. Uh, 
now used on Earth in extreme temperatures. They evolved from a lightweight insulator NASA developed to protect spacecraft and the people in space. This is the kind of stuff you see wrapped around the outside of the spaceships all over the place. You know, the gold foil and the silver foil and the metallic. Well, I know those work because they use them for <coughs> cops keep them in their cars for accidents. Yeah. When I had one in Southern California where we actually got below 30 degrees in the morning. They felt bad because it was all that they give had, you know, to keep me warm sitting out there, but it worked. I'm not complaining. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, these things, there are a lot of things that I don't want to say we take them for granted that the, that the technology exists, but people don't, don't realize where, where they, that stuff started. But yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing that, and even then, you look at uh, early Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the uh, the enemy within, which is the, the the one of the early episodes. Sulu and a landing party are caught on a on a planet that descends into below subfreezing temperatures at night, and they've got kind of a thermal blanket looking thing there. And, you know, it's one, it's, it's one, you know, chicken and egg thing. Science fiction usually creates, you know, a thought about an idea. Oh, that's kind of cool. What, I wonder what that would look like in real life. We get the cell phones, we get the flip phones because of the communicators. And we've got, you know, Kindles and iPads now out, out of, out of all of that. But you look at the space program saying, okay, how do we do X? How do we get from point A to point B? And how do we do it in a way because everything on a spaceship has weight and that weight causes the, the you have to calculate that weight in order to figure out how much fuel you have. And so the lighter the spacecraft, the less fuel you burn, the less it costs. And we're looking at that now with SpaceX and, and, and Virgin Galactic and all of these different uh, new developments in how do we get the spaceships out in, this, in, in orbit. Miniaturization is a big part of that and figuring out how do we, how do we make things reusable? How do, we, how do we put things up there that we can either recycle or take something and convert it into something else? Well, that's one of my favorite scenes in the Apollo 13 movie is when they are trying to figure out how to put a square peg into a mm -hmm. round hole. And they're like, all right, guys, and they dump this basket out on the table. This is everything they have. Let's go to work. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing how they are able to sit there and they need to be able to think out of the box. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and Sob's got it. Cell phones uh, from original series, iPads from Next Generation, and you know there's so you know there are people that are working on transporter technology. There 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 are people working on holodecks. You know we're we're seeing uh, virtual environments with you know virtual reality and and holographic technology coming uh, advancing as far as they are. And some of those refinements and, and innovations come inspired out of, out of science fiction. But 
some of science fiction comes in and and says, well, why don't we do this thing? And then the scientists actually figure out how to do the thing. Um, uh, GPS satellites, uh, communication satellites. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke was one of the first people to to write about that. And, and then it was unheard of because it wasn't being done. And Clark said, well, what if we did it? And then somebody figured out how to do it. And then you look at the, the things that the space program needed out of necessity get translated into a consumer product, water purification systems. Uh, it's a, it, an electrolytic silver iodizer to purify drinking water. Here's one you might not might not be aware of. Did you know that the Dustbuster came out of the space program? <laughs> NASA approached Black and Decker to develop a lightweight device to collect samples on the moon. The company then used this technology to create the Dustbuster in 1979. So it. It has a storied history there. Let's go, let's go collect some moon rocks. How do we do it? Uh, Sci-Fi Stop says, It's my theory that science fiction writers start all innovation. It must be first conceived before a scientist can invent it. I would agree with that to a point. Uh, I'm not sure that every single innovation comes out of science fiction, but a good deal of it, I think, does. Um, whether it's a concept or a scientific idea or a gadget well i think i think a lot of it comes down to you have people who are it's kind of like splitting up you have your english art people you have your math science people and it's that creativity not saying scientists aren't creative in their own way obviously doing what they do to actually make it work but you know, I kind of agree. It's with these writers, science fiction writers. They have an understanding of how some things might work, this and that. But taking it that step beyond to actually imagine it in full so that it lays down that groundwork for a scientist to be able to do. Well, I think that there is something to be said for that. I think that um, futurists, if you get into speculative fiction in, in a sense of projecting forward into the future in terms of what kind of technology we'd have, the, the innovations. I mean, you look at, at uh, Fahrenheit 451 with the video walls, the video screens. You know, we have these giant home theater screens. We've got these, L these LED panels now instead of the, the old tube televisions. And so now we get flat screen TVs and we get these giant poster size screens that go on the wall. Uh, yeah, and, and it's only a matter of time. And I, I want to say that I actually saw this the other day. It's only a matter of, of time before we have the, f I mean, we've already got the flexible screens, the little flexible phone screens. It's only a matter of time before that's a whole, the whole wall size thing and we don't have windows anymore see we're getting conditioned to live inside and now they're going to give us uh, video projection screen window shades to show us the outside so we don't actually have to ever go outside it'll be just like Fahrenheit 451 
Uh, Snob says Mindy is smart. She agrees with him, and I should listen. So, <laughs> thank you. Let's see here. All right. So, continuing ear thermometers, home insulation, which makes a certain amount of sense because you have the the dark cold vacuum of space you've got to retain the heat inside the ship or you don't freeze to death jaws of life i didn't know this one do you know the jaws of life are are yeah an extrication tool used to free people from mangled vehicles the jaws of life applies a miniature version of the explosive charge used to separate devices on the space shuttle Wireless headsets. Mm -hmm. Memory foam. Mm -hmm. Comes out of NASA's... Develop, uh, they developed the foam in the 1970s to make airline pilot seats more comfortable. And they were later installed in the space shuttles. Uh, of course, freeze-dried food. Because that's a thing from way back to you know, the early days of the space program where we have to figure out how to store again that gets to the weight thing where if it weighs more it costs more in fuel to get it out there into space adjustable smoke detectors baby formula artificial limbs nasa's innovations into shock absorbing uh, shock absorption materials coupled with robotic and extravehicular activities are being adapted to create more functionally dynamic artificial limbs. There's some there's some incredible work being done in bionics. I've seen video of people who are getting almost and it's not you know it's not 100% perfect yet of course. You're, you we don't have we're not at the level of the 6 million dollar man or the bionic woman where you can't even tell. But the level of sophistication in today's bionics research is incredible compared to what we were looking at even five years ago, ten years ago. Here's another one, the computer mouse. In the 1960s, a NASA researcher was trying to make computers more interactive when an idea was suggested about how best to manipulate data on a computer screen leading to the mouse. And of course, the, the personal computer, the desktop computer and laptops and all of that, that all came out of the space program as well. It's funny, I remember when um, there was an anniversary of this of the the moon landing and i want to say this was 1989 i i i i might have that date wrong but it was in the late 80s i know that much and i want to say it was 89 because that would have been the 20th anniversary and buzz aldrin was on abc's nightline with ted koppel talking about the program the space the space program and the moonwalk and all that stuff and he said something that stuck with me then and it has stuck with me all 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 the rest of my days and i will never forget when he said that the original space program plan 
if we had stuck to it, we would have had an operational base on Mars by 1980. And that has always stuck with me, that one of the reasons why we did not continue with the lunar landing missions, and one of the reasons why the space shuttle was delayed for so long, because Nixon had the space shuttle plans. That was going to be the next step. And then from that, with the orbiters, then we were going to do lunar base, because then the orbiters could land on the moon, and then we go out to Mars. That was, that was originally, as I understand, if I remember right, that was the plan. And Nixon scrapped the, the space shuttle program under his watch because it, according to Buzz Aldrin, it didn't advance Nixon politically. Nixon didn't see any political benefit from it, so he didn't do it. It was only a after Ford got in there that he started up the space program again, and we got the first orbiter, Enterprise, which never flew in orbit. But to hear Buzz Aldrin say that we could have been on Mars, a manned base on Mars by 1980, says a lot about how our technology was developing at the time. And it makes me wonder, what could we do now if the full power of innovation was unleashed in, in the space program. If we weren't having to worry so much about inclusion and diversity and get the space program back to exploring space and, you know, partnerships with companies like SpaceX, maybe, you know, uh, uh, Virgin Galactic, maybe that's a piece of it that's been missing all this time. I don't know. But we need to be back out there. And according to some people, we have been out there. So uh, I ran across this. In, my, in doing my homework, I ran across this. Um, and I, I am not endorsing this. I am merely sharing this. Okay, just I want to I want to make, make sure that we're clear on this. This is a website called ancientcode.com. This is from uh, let's see what's the date on this. It's got almost 12,000 views on it. Let me see where the date is. Is there a date on this? I don't see a date. Headline Alleged NASA hacker claims the U.S. has deep space warships. Here's the story. According to a hacker who is facing a 10-year legal battle after breaking into NASA computers, the United States has a fully operational fleet of space warships. Gary McKinnon firmly believes that he came across the ultimate information that proves the U.S. has a secret space program operated by the Navy with fully operational warships that operate in space. In a new interview on UFO channel Rich Planet TV, McKinnon finally reveals the entire truth about his findings, saying, quote, I kept going for months and months. I kept thinking they're going to close this door, unquote. 
McKinnon says he used a software called LandSearch, which allowed him to search all files and folders of interest to him. Quote, I scanned and looked for documents. I found an Excel spreadsheet which said non-terrestrial officers. It had ranks and names. It had tabs for material transfer between ships. I took that to be they must have a ship based in space. The names started with USS. Gary McKinnon is accused of mounting the biggest ever hack in the history of the United States by breaking into the computers of the Army, Air Force, Navy, and NASA. During his latest interview, McKinnon describes a conversation from a former NASA whistleblower, Donna Hare, who had been told by a colleague that NASA was trying to hide delicate information by airbrushing UFOs from their photos. Quote, There's, There was a colleague who was in another room. They all had secret clearance, but they were on different projects, and she was in this chap's lab or room or whatever it is, and he said, Come take a look, Des. While there are many people who firmly believe this is yet another elaborate hoax, there have been a series of former NASA and government employees who back up the claims made by McKinnon. According to statements from a former Marine, not only have humans made it to Mars in the past, this is where it gets good. This is, this is, this is where it gets interesting, all right? According to statements from a former Marine, not only have humans made it to Mars in the past, but we have developed a secret space program and flotilla that operates in space. So this is a second person saying that we've got a fleet in space. The former U.S. Marine was posted on the Red Planet for years, and his mission was to protect the five human colonies from indigenous life forms on Mars. According to the former Marine, known as Captain K, not only did, and it's spelled K-A-Y-E, so it's a name, it's not an abbreviation. Not only did he spend years on Mars, but he also served aboard a giant space carrier for three years. He worked for the Mars Defense Force, which is owned and operated by the Mars Colony Corporation, which is basically a conglomerate of financial institutions, government, and tech companies. Kay and his team were part of a special section of the United States Marines with a highly classified mission, protect and ensure the existence of five newly established colonies on the surface of the Red Planet. The Earth Defense Force, another secret military branch, has military recruits from countries such as the United States, China, and Russia. <sighs> So, now you take that. I will, yes, I will drop a link to that article in, in the show notes because it is rather interesting because um, All right, so there's that. I'm going to save that, and I'll pop it right there. Um, if you go back, see, th these kind of stories, this kind of story is what takes me back to that interview with Buzz Aldrin, who said that if we had followed the original plan, we would have had a, an operational base on Mars by 1980, which was 40 years ago. Right. 
So... Not to be not to be that guy, but let's say it let's say that there's a piece of this that could be because I've seen I've seen footage and who know you know in this day and age with After Effects and Photoshop and everything, everything could be fake. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that caveat out there. But you know the the, the QAnon people have been posting photos of, and I'm I'm not a QAnon. I, I'm I'm just aware of lots of different things here, but they've been posting photographs of various different things, objects flying around the moon, and they're saying, "What is this? What are these things? What are these things?" Because they're flying in in specific paths. It's not just you know debris or asteroids or whatever, because they're actually orbiting around the moon it looks like so let's game this out let's say that we actually didn't stop our space research let's say we didn't stop the the program and we actually do have bases uh, on mars why would you keep that a secret and how could you keep that a secret for 40 years without anybody I mean you've got these you've got these interviews of these people that are you know supposedly blowing the blowing the lid off and exposing this but how do you how do you keep this a secret this long if it's real That's that that's the question. Because I I don't I don't see any advantage to keeping something like that a secret. Because if you had because of the aliens. Yeah, if you had this kind of of operation and if there were technological benefits that came from it then why wouldn't you talk about where this stuff comes from because well, we've always talked about you know the all of this technology i mean tang comes out of the space program well think about it though and this is something that they've said you know with us watching stargate how many times have they mentioned it what would I mean, what hypothetically speaking, what if there was something like on Mars or we're out there? And what if hypothetically we've had contact with some other being of some sort? You know, you hear about those rumors that are in uh, Area 51 or the area down in, in well, hold on, in, um, you know, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. But I think what they're looking at is what is that possibility? What would the generalized public do you're going to have the smart people and then you're going to have the people that are on top of the building in the middle of Los Angeles sitting there and saying welcome home and get blown up well there there's two there's two things there there's two separate things going on there all right one it's not necessarily i'm i'm not i'm not necessarily looking at 
indigenous life on Mars because that's a completely different thing than having a base on Mars or having a colony on Mars because the two don't necessarily go together. Because we have bases on Mars doesn't necessarily mean that we're having to deal with indigenous life because we don't have any evidence that there's indigenous life on Mars. And to your point about Stargate, a lot of that has to do with the existence of extraterrestrials and aliens and, and, you know, that kind of thing. But at the same time, look at with them keeping it a secret because you have other governments. And at the time, I mean, imagine had this all happened in 1980, if we had all this stuff, what... Yes, the Russians put up someone in orbit first, but we were in the moon. What do you think, what type of, especially with the Cold War, if stuff like that, all of a sudden we're doing and having some type of life out in space, what do you think that would have done to the political aspect, relationships, well, any of that. That's that's a good point, but you also have to consider too that in the eighties, Reagan Reagan was making strides to winning the Cold War. You know, you have you have Glasnost and and you know, let's get along and pal around with Gorbachev and and Gorbachev recognized that his country was not what they, the way they were doing things was not sustainable. He recognized that the Soviet Union had to make changes because they were they were going bankrupt, and they were falling. And, and as we saw with the collapse of the Soviet Union, he was right. Mm -hmm. But I don't. You're right. I think there there is there is some political expediency there in keeping that kind of a thing a secret. But forty years later. We won the Cold War. At some point after that, you would think it, it wouldn't matter. Now, yeah, because you know, relations with Russia and China are back to the point where we have a new Cold War. But in the intervening years, there, there have been times. I mean, we've been using Russian rockets to go up to the space, the space station for how, how long now? 15, oh, 20 yeah. years? No, I know that. So there is a level of cooperation there that we haven't had before. There's a level of cooperation, but there's still that level of distrust. Well, that's true. That's true. I, I, yeah, I get it. I mean, now, let me, let me be clear. I don't think that there's anything to this story. I don't think we've got five colonies on Mars. Now, my question is, when they had the docking of um, this last docking with... SpaceX and all that. With did Bob you and Doug? Did you see the video that they had? There was, um, while they were showing, I think it was the docking, but at one point through the video, the, the camera that they have going out and watching it, at the top, um, at the top right-hand corner, there were things out there flying in not normal debris floating around fashion. I missed that. Oh, check it out. Yeah. I'll have to look at that. Sci-fi, uh, sci-fi. The problem with conspiracy theories, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. 
Glazane Maxwell might be familiar with that. True. <laughs> All right. Here's another, here's another uh, impact that the space program and NASA has had on our lives. Uh, it's changed your astrological sign. Did you know this? I'm still stubborn. Your 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 astrological sign. You are now an Aries. <laughs> How have I gone from a Taurus to an Aries? I think that might be scarier. Lifestyle.com. This is out of Australia. Uh, Ava Crawford, uh, the the writer of this article. Uh, the headline: NASA has announced a thirteenth astrological sign, and it changes everything. Uh, it is a common question, what's your star sign? Whether or not you put any weight in astrology, there is a part of your identity, be it minute or all-defining, that is linked to knowing your star sign. I'm going to argue that point because I don't have a care in the world what my star sign is. I know I'm a Pisces. I don't care. So her initial premise here is flawed. Regardless, we continue. Your zodiac sign is based on the position of the sun in relation to particular constellations on the day you were born. The charts were created by ancient astrologers who follow the 360-degree movement of the sun, dividing it into 12 equal 30-degree parts. Studying the link between the sun's motion and the placement of the constellations led to the creation of the 12 star signs we know today. That was until NASA changed everything. In 2016, NASA identified a difference in the constellations from the established grouping of 12. At this time, they warned that this could have a potential impact on the understanding of the zodiac. NASA posted, the sky has shifted because Earth's axis, the North Pole, doesn't point in quite the same direction. The 13th constellation and the star sign is called Ophiuchus. Say that ten times fast. It's spelled O-P-H-I-U-C-H-U-S. Opiuchus. Ophiuchus, I guess. And it's represented by the symbol of the snake bearer. Those who are now under this new sign were previously under Sagittarius. The new birthday boundaries are November 29th to December 17th. <laughs> so... What that does then is it shifts all of the other astrological signs so that now it is no longer uh, aligned with what you would might what you might think. Um, so I'm now apparently an Aquarius and <laughs> And you're an Aries, and my son is now a Capricorn. It shifts everything. But Ophiuchus, that's just, that's just a mouthful. I mean, you'd think you could come up with something a little bit easier to say. Uh, of course, this has been met with scorn and rejection. A lot of people sit there and go, nope, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take a change. I'm not changing my star sign. I'm, I'm, Sticking with it. So, Ophiuchus, the snake bearer. 
And it basically is just the way the sign is. It's a giant U with a swishy, swishy line through it. All right. The things what you learn on this show, folks, and and you don't even have to stay up overnight to listen to uh, uh, what's George and Ori's show, the late night. UFO conspiracy show. Yeah, <laughs> Sci-Fi Snob says, keeping knowledge about Mars bases is one thing. Changing my sign, that's a bridge too far. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, I've, I've never put any stock into astrology anyway. Um, a, lot of the re- a lot of it is because I think it's bunk and also because there are associations with you know, if you get into the extreme interpretations, there's associations with witchcraft and the occult and all that other stuff. And scripture teaches against associating with such things. And I try to, I try to live my life uh, fairly well. Um, but to me, the whole astrology thing just seems a little silly because... I have never understood any, 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 how you could believe that positions of the stars and planets somehow influence your life. Your life is determined by your choices and the choices that other people make and the consequences of those choices. Now, you have to understand and this is something that I try to drill into my kid's head all the time. Choices have consequences. There are a lot of people right now that are making choices without the understanding that consequences come with it. And we're going to see in the next few weeks the consequences of those choices. We've seen the consequences of some of those choices over the last three or four months. Choices that politicians make, choices that citizens make, choices that law enforcement make. There are consequences, and there are people that want to act as if there are not consequences, and they're going to get a very rude awakening. Um, but some of the other consequences coming out of the space program, see how I circle back to that rather, rather easily there. Um, here's one, cooling suits. Uh, the spacesuits need to be completely sealed to protect the astronauts from outer space. So they have a liquid cooling and ventilation system they developed in 1966. So all of the tubes and the and the cooling systems, the water cooling, like water cooling systems that we get out of the out of computers now. When you design your your new computers, water cooled computers, all of that technology comes out of uh, uh, out of the space program. Uh, fireproof materials. We already talked about the thermal blankets, but also uh, following the Apollo 1 fire, uh, they were looking at how to make things in the command module less flammable, including the spacesuits. And they developed this thing. It's a heat-resistant material called polybenzamidazole, PBI. It was developed by Dr. Carl Ship Marvel, there's an actual Dr. Marvel, a pioneer in synthetic materials. After Apollo 1, 
The Selenese Corporation came up with a fiber that was woven into clothing beneath the puffy outer shell of the astronaut spacesuits, providing another layer of protection, although it has since been phased out. But it's used now with firefighter suits. Um, so protective gear that firefighters use uh, still use some of the technology that was developed in the Apollo program to keep the astronauts safe from, from fire inside the spaceships. Spring tires. Uh, a durable tire. The, the Lunar Rover vehicle were, was made with airless tires uh, made of springy woven steel wire, much like guitar or piano string. Uh, that technology has been incorporated into other uh, other designs, and now uh, we're looking at uh, developing that for the new lunar rovers that are going back to the moon once we go back to the moon. Let's see here. What else? Digital fly-by-wire. Um... Pilots control feed into a computer which uses software to process and translate those commands into electrical signals sent to the components to control the spacecraft's movement. So basically, instead of uh, transmitting over uh, fiber, uh, wire, wire connections, uh, it's sort of a remote control system for the spacecraft. Integrated circuits. Uh, NASA and MIT Instrumentation Lab built the Apollo Guidance Computer with a promising but relatively unproven technology, the Integrated Circuit, which packed multiple transistors onto a single silicon chip. So the motherboards and all of the microchips and everything that you use now and, and we just assume is in all of our gadgets, because they are, uh, whereas it was developed before the Apollo program, but they used it. And it says here, by 1963, Project Apollo absorbed up to 60% of the U.S. supply of microchips. Here's another article from the New York Post. Seven inventions from the Apollo space program we still use today. Of course, the dustbusters on there, thermal blankets on there, advanced cameras on there. We've talked about that. Bridge shock absorbers. Do you know about this one? The shock absorbers found on both San Francisco's Oakland Bay Bridge and London's Millennium Bridge were also born out of the Apollo missions. Taylor Devices Incorporated created the devices for NASA's Apollo launch pad and still sell them today as seismic shock absorbers for structures around the world. So basically these are giant... You know, you know how a shock absorber works, right? They're spring these you know, like on a car, there are these spring-loaded, air-loaded things that attach to the tires. So when you hit a bump, it 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 collapses in and it and it I've been on the Bay Bridge a few times. Okay. So, well, see yes. so, so you know how this stuff works. Yes. I'm also speaking for the benefit of the audience who may not understand how shock absorbers work. You you, you it pushes in and collapses in and then comes back out in order for things to maintain their shape. And they absorb any kind of high impact. 
That that came out of the space program. Vacuum sealed food. We talked about the freeze dried, mm -hmm. but also vacuum sealed. Um, shock absorbing sneaker soles. We talked about that. Let's see here. Now here's here's the NASA spinoff site. If you if you want to know about all of the different things, because there's lots of it that are that are spin-off technologies from the space program nasa has uh spinoff.nasa.gov is the website and it goes into all of the different um things that have come out of the space program as a result of the technological advances, um, infrared ear thermometers, artificial limbs, ventricular assist devices, heart pumps came out of that, anti-icing systems, uh, highway safety, you know the groove, groo sometimes you run into the highways where they got the grooves cut into them, mm -hmm. NASA figured out that if you cut grooves into the into the into the runway, the space shuttle had a better chance of landing and, and moving straight and, and more safely. So you cut grooves into the into the highway to keep keep cars moving along straight lines and there's you know increased traction. So going in the direction that they're going. Pretty much. So it's kind of like a, a lane on the bowling alley. Yes. And yes, if I stop, shock absorbers absorb shock. And here's something very random. If you go up into the high desert um, outside of Palmdale, Lancaster in wow. California, there is a two-lane road that has grooves that have been cut into it that play, I want to say that's the William Tell Overture as you drive over it. Because of the grooves and the way they set up. <laughs> Just saying. Okay. All right. That's your fun, random Tuesday night trivia fact. Except it's not Tuesday night. Tomorrow is. I'm prepping these people for I, Taco I, Tuesday I, trivia night. I, oh, is that what it? Okay. Yes. Right. Should we start doing that? Oh. <laughs> it is Taco Tuesday Eve. Yes, but tomorrow night we have uh, tomorrow night we have triple bites, right? Taco bites? Uh, no. <laughs> it just it it's just fascinating to me to see all this because there were some of this stuff I didn't even know has has been, has grown out of uh, the space program technology, and I think there is a very real benefit to continuing along those lines and getting um yeah, snob says it's tuesday in a reality somewhere and he's probably right <laughs> um it it behooves us i think there is a benefit to continuing on uh the trajectory that we're on a lot of people are are, are irritated with the administration's policy of partnering public and private uh, interests, you know, the government working with private corporations and private enterprises. But I think that's, I mean, that's a partnership that's been around for a very long time. <coughs> you know, Jet Propulsion Lab, Northrop Grumman, Boeing, 
um, IBM, all of these, all of these companies that have worked with NASA in order to develop technology, develop uh, less uh, red tape. Well, it's not. It's not necessarily less red tape. It's 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 a, a mixture of specialties where you have people that are experts at certain things who are working at various different places. Why not utilize their resources in a cooperative venture? This this idea that only the government can do things is ludicrous on its face, especially when you go to the DMV. I mean you you don't want why 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 would you want the government in charge of various different things if you work with a partnership you at least have some of that responsibility spread out and as we've seen in government agencies and the space program has suffered because of this in some cases the challenger accident being one of them you have in these in these places where merit and accountability are not always a thing and in government agencies just like anybody else but in government agencies people have a tendency to fail upward <laughs> i've heard stories um i've heard stories i know for a fact that people in government tend to tend to fail upward but if you have if you have people in charge who are not competent then people die and if the people the specialists are in the private sector absolutely get them involved i have i have no problem with spacex building the rockets i have no problem with with virgin galactic figuring out spacecraft use them work with them if, they, if that's where the specialists are then that's that's who you use those are the resources that are out there i have no problem with that um yeah i i agree so i think both accidents both accidents could have been prevented um and i think one of the reasons one of the reactions to it you know the grounding of the entire space program as a result was the wrong lesson learned and we see this in a lot of industries where certain things go a certain way and people take uh, people take the, the wrong lessons out of it Hollywood does it all the time but I think government does it too I think um, I think people have a tendency to see what they want to see and when certain things happen they make certain assumptions based on preconceived notions and biases. And when you have a, a quote-unquote a very bad thing happen, uh, it sometimes has a tendency to lean into confirmation bias. And, well, of course it's going to happen. This, this, is the, is, this is the scenario and this is the, the circumstance. So I think that uh, you know I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next out of the partnership between NASA and SpaceX, uh, and we'll talk to uh, we'll talk to Jim Raymar tomorrow 
Uh, he is the director of the Kansas Cosmosphere. He's going to be with us in the bottom half of the hour. Uh, we'll talk to him about some of the innovations of the space program, some of the work that they're doing at the Cosmosphere, and um, see possibly what's next for the space program. Because you've got the Artemis, uh, Artemis program. You have uh, a new... We've got a new solar orbiter that's out there now. Uh, we've got a new space telescope that's going to get launched, the Webb Space Telescope that's going to get launched here probably next year. So we're on track for some things, and I know uh, President Trump wants to get us back on Mars, wants to get us, well, get us back on Mars, get us on Mars with a manned mission, uh, and and get us back on the moon. So we'll see how all of that plays out. So, all right, there it is, an hour Hopefully it was interesting enough that uh, that you liked what you hear. If uh, if so, uh, you want to give us a thumbs up. If you are just now finding the program, we do welcome you and invite you to subscribe to the channel. Uh, we had a few jump on board over the weekend. We're currently sitting at 1,440 subscribers. And... Uh, not quite 10% of you have your notifications turned on. So make sure that that notification bell is hit so you know when we put uh, when we put co uh, content out. Sci-Fi Snob says we get a B today. It was a good show with a good topic. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. It is always good to get that feedback, whether it is positive or not. We're not going to we're not going to shut anybody down if they don't like what we do. We love Gary. Uh, yeah. Hi, Gary. Well, I don't know. If, is Gary out there yet? Not yet. All right. <clears throat> so anyway. Okay. So we will be back tomorrow with more Live from the Bunker here at noon. Tonight, I do believe we've got a new H2O podcast at 8 o'clock. Plus, we've got uh, convention changes and schedules uh, that we'll be reporting on about 630-ish. Uh, so be here for that. And in the meantime, check out all of the rest of the videos that we've got. Triple Bites tomorrow night with new Star Trek and Orville news. And uh, Deep Space Minds on Friday. And uh, who knows what else we'll have in the meantime. So thanks very much for watching, everyone. If you're listening on the podcast, don't forget we are broadcasting live on video on our YouTube channel Monday through Thursday at noon. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says, I get a B, you get an A-plus as usual. Well, thank you. All right. So that's going to do it for us. Thanks very much for being here, folks. We will be back. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.